Hi, I'm Philip, and this is Careers 2.0, a podcast where we learn how to build and monetize your online audience. Today's guest is an inspiration, frankly, and not just because of his experience as a producer, a podcast host, and an educator, but as a person who managed to monetize a relatively small audience. When we usually talk about making a living online, we're thinking of audiences of hundreds of thousands or millions of followers. But he managed to monetize a mere few thousand. How? Well, that's the main topic of our chat. But before that, have you subscribed to our podcast? I hope so. And I hope you'll enjoy my interview with Mr. Craftsman Creative himself, Darren Smith. Hi, Darren. Thanks so much for for joining us. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. I think we met on a Twitter space like two weeks ago. And the fact that it turned into this is like my favorite thing about doing Twitter spaces (laughs) is you never know who's going to be listening and how it's going to come together. And so cool of you to reach out. Thanks for having me. The Twitter space is the first time I've I've heard about you, actually. And I started digging in and looking at uh, what you do. And I was instantly impressed uh, and inspired as well. Uh, you, you do absolutely everything from books, right, podcasts. Uh, you have your own coaching, your own courses. Um, actually, I want to know, is this is this intentional uh, diversification or is it just you experimenting with stuff? <laughs> That's a really good question. So I made the mistake early on in the whole like creator, entrepreneur, um, you know, progress of my career to go, well, I'm really good at building products, so I'll just keep building, building, building. So I wrote a book, I started a newsletter, had a podcast, and then, you know, it expanded, expanded, expanded. And so it's it's a function of that more than a uh, concrete strategy that I was implementing at the time. And now what I but- really recommend to people is limit it to like one or two offers, like have a high ticket offer that's you're doing the work for them, have a mid-ticket offer where it's like coaching or a community or courses. And then your low-ticket stuff is like your book or your digital downloads or templates or those kind of things that are very hands-off and they do it themselves. And if they're all aligned to get that customer the same outcome, then they can kind of pick and choose depending on what their needs are, how much of your time they want, et cetera, et cetera. So were I to do it again, I would really simplify and just find like one offer, one channel, get it working, and then go from there and expand out. But uh, I I kind of did the typical thing where I just tried everything. Yeah. And ultimately, I've pared down a lot since uh, about two years ago when all this started. I think it's it's uh, it's very common in the, in the creative uh, industries that people divide are usually divided between the builders uh, and the marketers. Let's say the ones that build products and the ones that build audiences. Yeah. Uh, what strikes me actually about you is that you don't have um, million followers or thousands and thousands of, of of subscribers, and yet you're managing to do an amazing uh, earn a living for yourself just with that. Um, how how does it happen? Did you think, okay, I'm going to build my audience and then sell them my products or uh, or you started with the product trying to find the audience? Yeah, that part is intentional. So it's nice that I can say it didn't all just happen from <laughs> luck. Um, yeah. I've been a big, big proponent of email marketing as the core of my business from before I even started Craftsman Creative. Um, for probably close to a decade now, I've been really studying and learning email marketing. And I've realized just from personal experience, but as well as like 
industry reports and research and things like that, it's such a better platform for building relationships with an audience of leads and prospects than social media. Plus you have a lot more control over the deliverability and who it's reaching. And, you know, I can send out an email and it'll reach 2000 people. Whereas I put out a tweet and it reaches 200. Right. And so I've always relied heavily on getting people off of social media platforms onto my email list. And then the strategy that I use is very robust and very built out. So I have lots of sequences, lots of tagging and segmenting going on in the background that basically personalizes the experience for whoever's coming in. So if they're coming in and they want to okay. learn about my book, they'll get a sequence for that. They'll never hear anything about my high ticket offers. But vice versa, if they came in going, I really want to work with Darren one-on-one, I'm not going to pitch them my book because that's not what they want but I only know those things because of the way I've set that system up to identify how are they raising their hand? What are they interested in? How am I tagging and segmenting them? And then that ends up delivering clients every day and sales every day in the background where I can just focus on the content creation to bring new prospects and leads into the business. All right, you mentioned that this is this is pre-planned. So let's, let's get back a little bit. And can you tell me about the planning process, when it started, when you transitioned from your or, or started the transition uh, from your day job, let's say, to the online content creation? Yeah, I would say it's been more of an addition or an expansion rather rather than a transition. So I still work mm-hmm. quasi full time about six months out of the year. I work as a film producer. So last year I did two feature films, one here in Utah and one overseas in Cape Town, South Africa. I was out there for two months producing a movie. So that is like the bulk of my revenue up until recently, whereas this craftsman creative stuff, this creative entrepreneur side has become more of a robust um, and like real revenue for me and my business. Um, So just to clarify that, like I do both and I think it's important to be a practitioner as well as someone who is teaching this stuff. Generally, you get, you shift into mentoring or teaching like in your later years, you know, you get, you have a bunch of successes and then you're, 50, 60 years old, and that's when you write your memoir or your book, and that's when you start mentoring people and teaching what you know. But I realized that there was an opportunity to kind of highlight, I'm going through the process right now. At the time when I started it, I had like 800 followers on Twitter, and I think I had 500 email subscribers. And I was just like, well, I can just highlight what works and what doesn't. So that was kind of the strategy going in was like, I'm just going to teach people what's working and what I'm doing and be very open book about it all. And it really worked. Can I ask, how did you acquire the first 800 on Twitter and the 500 subscribers? Because that, that's significant amount for a lot of people. I would yeah, say. I, I honestly don't even think that it's um, an accurate number of how many people were actually following me. Okay. Because if you look, I started email marketing in like the early 2000s, probably 05, 06 is when I started my first blogs and my first things online where I was capturing emails. Um, You know, if you look at 2010 to 2012, I was running a um, a, a monthly meetup for like filmmakers and YouTubers here in Provo, Utah. And we used Eventbrite and we were collecting emails. And so every month we'd have 50 or 60 new emails coming in. But those people, you know, they, they fell off my list or became very uninterested over the decade since then, right? Um, so even though I had four or 500 on my email list, I probably was getting a 30 or 40% open rate 
and like no engagement. And same on Twitter. I feel yeah. like when even though I had 800, 850 subs- um, followers, the engagement was as if I had 100 or 150. And so I really felt like I was starting from square one as far as the, the numbers go. But I did have 15 years of experience doing this stuff. So I was in a little bit different yeah. situation than someone who's maybe starting from scratch today. They're just starting school or coming out of school. They want to do creative work for a living. That's different than kind of how I started it. But it really kicked off the fall of 2021 with my book. So I heard you say that you actually, uh, since you left college or forever, you've been a creative person. You've been starting projects and like many of us started dozens of projects that went nowhere or almost nowhere. But despite that, this was the the learning curve. That's how you learn all the stuff, right? So that even if the project didn't work out, the knowledge stayed with you. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I have got <laughs> a graveyard of dead projects that I started over the last 15 years. I tried starting a, uh, a community for musicians to meet up and to connect and to pair up and to be able to connect with each other. That was like a blog and a community that I started in I don't know, 2008 mm-hmm. or nine. Um, I had this meetup I told you about. I've had three or four different blogs that I was using to get people onto an email list. And so you get all of that, you know, after 10 years and you try to turn that into a single audience, it really just doesn't work. So I was uh, starting from scratch really about two years so ago. The, so, so what is the, the, the um, when you say starting from scratch, what was the... Um, the change, the difference between this particular project, the creative, how would you define it? Is it the new project? Is it the, cre- the, the, the coaching, the educational part of it? Or how would you define the, the new part that you're on? Yeah, the definition came around really identifying who do I want to serve with this business and what are the outcomes uh-huh. that I'm going to help them get? Because that was kind of the learning it took me 15 years to find out. It was like, until you have those two things, you're kind of just shooting in the dark. And so mm-hmm. what this does, I love the analogy from the, there's a book called The One Page Marketing Plan where he talks about a blindfolded archer in a you know, in a forest of trees and he's, tr- he's blindfolded and he's just shooting arrows into the fog hoping to hit some deer or some food for the day. And that's kind of what it felt like for a decade of just, well, I'm writing content online that's shooting the arrows every day, but mm-hmm. I was never hitting anything. Whereas this, um, compare that to Craftsman Creative, I identified that I wanted to work with what I call creative entrepreneurs. That ranges everything from like artists and musicians and filmmakers on the creative side to like founders and entrepreneurs and CEOs on the entrepreneur side. And so that is what I use to really um, identify everybody. And so... Um, identifying the group of people and then the offer that I was going to go out to them with. Basically meaning, I know what your needs are. I deeply understand you as a group of people or as a market or a, you know, ideal customer base. And I'm going to help you get that outcome. So the outcome that I identified was that they wanted to build and grow their businesses in as short a time and as ineffective a way as possible. Because they're all trying to do that. But the artist side are going, well, I just need to make more art. And that well, that's how I'll grow my business and my fan base and my revenue. But it wasn't working. And then on the entrepreneur side, you're like, well, I'm going to build my audience. I'm going to grow on Twitter or LinkedIn or TikTok or whatever. I'm just going to do more marketing because marketing leads to revenue. But they didn't have product in place. They didn't have offers that made sense for that. They were just kind of saying, I'm just going to grow an audience and see what happens. 
And so they were doing the work, but not getting the results. So I basically identified, okay, for this group of people, I have something that works. So I'm going to teach it to you and I can either do it with you or I can do it um, for you or I can have you do it yourself. So that's where the different products and services came out was just, it's all aligned with the same offer and the same outcome, but it's just how they want to approach it and how they want to move forward. You wrote that you used to be the sound guy and everybody knew you as a sound guy. And then you decided, you know what? I want to be the film producer now. And you were like, if, if you, I rejected a lot of opportunities and uh, I decided that I'm a film producer now and I, until an opportunity comes, I'm going to, how do you get confidence to do it? And also, is it similar with, uh, in this case, when you decided that you will help people uh, in their creative businesses, whereas your creative businesses so far, sorry for the term, but failed or didn't create a massive amount of, uh, a massive amount of revenue. How do you get the confidence to say, you know what, I actually, maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't reach the stars, but I know enough by now to help you. Yeah. To answer the second question, I just didn't give things enough time before, you know, I was trying for three months or six uh -huh. months or sometimes even a year, but that's all I would give it. And it felt like, well, this didn't work. And what I know now is that things can take two to three years in order to really start to take off to where you're seeing the signals of the audience is growing, the revenue starting to show up. And so I think before it was just a function of being impatient and not giving myself enough time for things to start compounding and start working. And I think a lot of people, when they're looking at individuals like me who are putting out content and are saying, I can teach you this thing or I can help you with this outcome, they want to know that you're going to be around in a year. And so you see a lot of these kind of, uh, I'll use fly by night, but like I've seen a lot of people on Twitter go from web three to now AI to then this, to then this. And like every six months, they're just Next trend. going after whatever is trendy. They're starting a new newsletter every six months and they're starting a new project every year. And you're just like, okay, that's great. And I, you know, it also applies to the people that are doing like, I'm going to build 12 apps in 12 months. Right. And I, I get that. And it's really important if you want to improve your skill set. that's a great way to do it, to just do the work and iterate mm -hmm. over and over and get better at your craft. But if you're trying to identify an audience of people in a month of building and launching something, it's just not enough time to know if it's going to have any traction at all. Um, but to answer your first question about how did I shift that identity, um, that's a post that I wrote, so you can find it on my blog. There's the archive of that newsletter on the blog. But the, the thing that I realized is that our identity really informs the decisions we make and the choices we make and how we move forward in mm -hmm. our lives day to day. And that word decision is an interesting one. It literally means to cut off. That's like the entomology of the word decision. And so in order to make a decision to go from being a sound guy to a film producer, it wasn't a process of expanding my identity. It was a process of cutting off the old one and becoming the new one. And so does if, if you look at the industry and you, you look at the best film producers, you look at Cassianoas and you look at people that are just like the Michael Jordans of indie film producing, right? Are they doing five different jobs? Can you hire them to do sound and to write and to produce? And also they're a golf coach and also they do surgery on the weekends? No, that, you will never, ever find that. They do one thing. They do it well. They have deeply been focusing on that for decades or more. And that's how they got to where they were, that extreme focus. And so 
that's why I decided to really cut off the sound guy part of my identity and say, I am a film producer. That is what I do. That is what you can hire me for. And for about a year and a half, I had to turn down sound gigs that were paying hundreds of dollars a day to go run sound for something because I didn't want people to identify me with sound guy. I wanted my identity to be film producer. Um, luckily I didn't ruin any friendships or lose anybody, but I mean, I think I frustrated some people by saying, no, I don't do that. And it was hard because the first year of being a film producer, there wasn't a lot of work for me because people didn't see me that way. But as soon as the identity caught up with the people that knew me, that's when new jobs started coming about. And now, you know, I'm an international film producer and I charge 50 grand on the low end to do a movie for somebody. And so that's why I made the shift because I could never charge 50 grand as a sound guy. I could charge maybe 500 a day. Uh, I didn't like that limitation. So that's part of what informed the shift. But it really was important, at least for me at that time, to say, I'm not this anymore. I am this. And now it's kind of an expansion of I'm a film producer who also helps with creative strategy and business and things like that with creative entrepreneurs. At what point does the book come in? So, like, is it called it your, uh, I think, uh, business card on steroids, uh, which is a, something that I really love. And I see a lot of creative entrepreneurs releasing books as a sort of, uh, here is my expertise packaged and, and delivered to you. Um, that's how you look at it? That, uh, as a lead magnet, as a summary of your knowledge, how do you look at your book and how does it fit? Yeah, it was really kind of a calling card. And I got to give credit to Hassan Osman, who who gave me that phrase, a business card on steroids. He's the one I heard it from. Uh, he has a, a podcast called Right Around the Side. And I was interviewed for that. And he told me that. And I was like, oh, I'm using that forever. That's awesome. <laughs> so I really wanted a way to come out into the creator economy was like a buzzword at the time. This is fall of 2021. So like August of 2021. And that year, I'd really gotten into NFTs. I'd really gotten into communities and stuff around Web3, and I was introduced to Joe Polizzi with The Tilt, um, Brian Clark with Unemployable Initiative. I think Daniel Priestley was another one. We were talking about key person of influence in his book. So I read a couple of books over that summer and really was like, okay, I want to be like these guys. I like what Joe is doing. Mm -hmm. He's He's been successful. He sold a business for like 15 million or more and was basically set for life, but he still came back and re-released his book or wrote a new book called Content Inc., and then started the tilt because he wanted to keep helping creators. And Daniel Priestley as well, like has written a number of books, has multi-million dollar businesses that he's built, but he still spends time coaching and helping those that are coming up and wanting those same outcomes. So I was like, all right, both of them are recommending that I should write a book. Well, what's the book I could write that quickly identifies if you see this book and it's interesting to you, you are part of the pe the tribe that I'm building, right? You are who I am mm -hmm. seeking to serve. So I titled the book Craftsman Creative, How Five-Figure Creators Can Build Six-Figure Businesses. So there's a lot of context wrapped up in that subtitle, right? You identify if you're a five-figure creator. So I'm not helping brand new baby creators that are like, I'm just starting out, where do I go? There's a bunch of mm -hmm. resources I can push people to, like how to build an audience, how to create a product, and how to do those things. But I'm usually not helping people go from zero to one, like get started. I'm usually helping people go from one to two to five to 10 to 100. And that's 
the niche that I identified and said, look, I really want to help people who are already doing this work. Because if they've been doing it for two, three, five, ten years, and they haven't reached achieved those outcomes of six-figure business, then that's who I want to help because I know how to do that. I've built multiple six-figure businesses over the last 15 years, and I know how to do that as a solo creator, as a partnership. So like, I had mm-hmm. that depth of experience. And so that was very clear who it was for and the outcome they would get by reading the book. And let's be honest, they, they are the ones with money, right? <laughs> well, also true. Like, it's very strategic. Like, you could yeah. build an audience of 100,000, you know, people who want to be creators on Twitter or LinkedIn or TikTok, but they don't got money because they're not making any content or selling any projects yet. So I was like, all right, I got to move up the chain. And even since then, just last year in the winter, like November, December, I was like, wait a minute. The people who have even more money than individual creators are businesses. I was taught this very clearly Mm -hmm. by Joe Polizzi. We did a podcast together called the 10K Creator, and he went out and he he got three sponsors for the show at 15 grand a piece for a brand new show that didn't exist yet. So I'm like, wait a minute. He sent me a check for a third of that, right? And so I'm like, the show doesn't exist yet. All I have to do is about... 15 hours worth of work total between recording and editing these things. And I just got 15 grand. Like that's a thousand dollars an hour. That's pretty high level work. I, I think it was, it's an amazing relationship and it's a very interesting story. If you could say how that happened, how you met, because from, from my perspective, we're talking online money and online business here all the time. Right. But the, how it happened is a physical book and an actual face-to-face meeting or a, a real life conference. Right. Uh, that's where the relationship uh, built up. Am I understanding it right? That's where the value was. Yeah, and over a year, right? So his community was one of those Web3 communities I joined in like March of 2021. He created what's called the Tilt Coin. It's just in the last month or two been completely like gone because Rally.io just took a tank last year with the rest of crypto and like the entire infrastructure failed. But I got into his community. I bought some Tilt Coin. It was like 50 cents at the time. So all I had to do was buy like 50 coins and I would be at the VIP level of his community, which gave me access to him. So I was like, well, this is a guy I want to learn from and get mentored by. And so I think the very first thing I did was reached out to him and I said, look, here's what I'm struggling with. I've got all these things, but nothing's happening as far as revenue goes. And he, he was very generous, took five minutes to look at my website and he's like, look, you got all the pieces there. I think you just don't have enough traffic coming in. And that's something that was repeated over and over again between him and Brian Clark and a number of people who I connected with over that next year. But for Joe, you know, I I was active in the community. So I was showing up, I was replying to his comments, I was posting new stuff, I was contributing to this community. So he saw me as someone that's like doing the work and showing up every day. And then um, I started writing the book and attributed a lot of the reason why I was writing it to his book and to Daniel Priestley's book. They were the inspiration for me writing it. And then it was May of 2022 when he had the first Creator Economy Expo. And it was probably November, December of 21 where I said, hey, I'm just finishing up the draft of my book. I can have it done and ready and out before... May 1st, when the Creator Economy Expo happens, can I gift 250 copies to the event and put it in the swag bag? And he's like, that would be amazing. It increases the value of the event, right? If they're spending five, six, seven hundred dollars to come and 
now they're getting $100 worth of books from people, right? Because there were three or four other people yeah. who gave books. So I'm contributing again. That is going to show up over and over in this relationship, right? I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving with no thought of what's in it for me. And so I was able to do that. They said yes, and I sent 250 copies of the book over to them, and they put them in the swag bags and gave them to everybody. And then I met Joe. And by the time I was like, hey, Joe, shake his hand, introduce myself, we had a year of communicating with each other and me showing mm -hmm. up and giving nothing but value, really never asking for anything other than that first, like, what am I doing wrong? What am I not doing? And he was like, you know, you're doing the work. I see you're showing up and you're working really hard. Like, keep in touch. Like, let me know if you have any ideas of like how we can maybe work together or yada, yada. And that's how we left Creator Economy Expo at the end of the event. That was the beginning of May. And then I think middle of June is when I messaged him. I sent him an email. I said, I have an idea. When can we hop on a call? And we did. We hopped on a Zoom call. I pitched him the idea for a 10K creator. He kind of, he was like, man, I got too much going on, but this is a brilliant idea. And he said, the only way I can do this is if I can go and find three sponsors at 15 grand a piece. Because if I can guarantee yeah. it's going to be a moneymaker for both of our businesses, then it's worth doing but it's not worth to do for free or on spec. Said, great. And his team went out, made three phone calls. All three said yes. <laughs> and we had a show. And so it certainly helped that it was with Joe. It certainly helped that it was going on his existing podcast feed, which already had two or 3,000 yeah. listens a week. And so there was a lot of strategic decisions in there for me to partner with Joe, but it turned out to be a huge success. We've had tens of thousands of downloads. We've had lots of people coming into the Tilt and into Craftsman Creative from that show. People reference it all the time when they message me. Oh, I found you from the Tilt. Oh, I found you from the 10K Creator Show. So that's how that all came together. Sorry, this is the long version, but... <laughs> no worries. It's a fascinating story, but for me, when uh, creators usually talk about investing their time or, or their money, it's either um, building an audience, building a product, uh, maybe putting some cash into ads uh, and you seem to have put your effort and your money also into a community and a specific influencer or influencers that you wanted to connect with. Um, is, was that your strategy? Was, was that your strategic input to sort of connect with people that you were inspired by and wanted to be next position next to them? Yeah, absolutely has been my strategy. So it kind of came about, um, I call it grace, right? It, or some would call it luck. So when I was working on the book, I was writing it in public, which meant every day I was updating a thread on Twitter with, here's what I wrote today. Here's a link to today's chapter, or here's an update, or I'm working with my editor, or here's how I did this. So I was just like doing it in public. I was writing a book in public on Twitter. And through that, I, I connected with a number of people who had massive audiences. Specifically, Josh Spector, mm -hmm. his audience was like eighteen or 20,000 on Twitter and probably had the same amount of email subscribers. Justin Moore has like fourteen or 40,000, I don't know, Twitter followers and a newsletter. Arvid Call, Kevon Chung, there's like a handful of people who saw what I was writing and grabbed onto it and said, this is valuable, I'm going to share it with my audience unprovoked. And so mm -hmm. I didn't know they were doing that, but then I would get a tweet mention that's like, oh, I wrote about Darren T. Smith in my newsletter today that went out to 18,000 people. And I'm like, wait, what? Why didn't he do that? And Josh did it two or three times and Arvid did it twice and retweeted my stuff and Justin was doing it. 
So I messaged them and got to know them through DMs. Justin and I are friends now. We met up at Creator Economy Expo last year. We're going to meet up again this year. I've had all three of them on my podcast. I've guested on their stuff. So we built these relationships and I realized, wow, this is very similar to the Walmart principle. And if you're not familiar with the Walmart principle, it basically says that the best place that you could put a restaurant, if you are McDonald's or Subway or Burger King, is in the front door of a Walmart. And why? Because they have thousands of people going through those doors every single day. The foot traffic already exists, so you're just putting yourself right where the foot traffic is. The next best place is in the Walmart parking lot. And the third best place is across the street from or next to the Walmart. Because you already have, I don't know, 10,000 people a day going into a, into a Walmart. And so if you make, you know, if you're Verizon, you obviously see those a lot of times in Walmart parking lots. And so it's the same principle. If you're targeting Walmart customers with your business, you should put yourself as close to their business, ideally even inside, if you can. So how do you apply that to like newsletters or a creative business? Who already has the audience that you are looking to serve? And you don't want to go to like direct competitors because they're obviously not going to be like, hey, go buy this offer, which is the same offer that we have. They're not going to do that. But if you look at Josh or Justin, these are perfect examples because Josh focuses a lot on content and audience growth. And Justin works a lot with brands, brand deal and sponsorship strategy. So those are parts of what I do. But uh -huh. There's a little overlap and there's a lot of just really great, um, what's the word, symbiosis or whatever. It's just very yeah. reciprocal. So when I send people there, they are high quality leads. And when they send people to me, they're really high quality leads. And it's adding to their value by recommending me and vice versa. And so that's been a strategy. The, the best way that I could recommend people implement that now is there's a company called Sparkloop. You just go to sparkloop.app. Oh. And they literally have tools that do this for you. So you can say, I want to spend a dollar on every lead that these types of newsletters send me. And those people can sign up and recommend them in your newsletter. They also have another tool where like they sign up for your newsletter and it pops up a thing that says you might also like these four other newsletters. And the same thing, you can earn a dollar, two dollars, three dollars every time you recommend someone to their list and vice versa. So I have this really great cycle going on where I'm spending about a thousand dollars a month on having people recommend and send new leads to my newsletter. I'm growing at like a thousand a month. And then I'm also recommending, so I'm getting $900 or $1,000 back. So I'm growing my newsletter at 1,000 people a month, basically for free or $100, and it's been really awesome. I've only done it for about the last three months since it came out, but it's the same principle. I picked the four or five newsletters that are the Walmarts of my industry that have 30, 50, 100,000 followers, and they're recommending me, and I build relationships with them, and it's been really, really great for building that business. So you're talking about symbiosis, but is there some sort of uh, USP or, or, or differentiation that it's important to you to have against those guys, your experience, your selling point, your offer? I think it's important. I haven't given tons of thought to that. I think you can quickly identify like, oh, we are the same. Um, but even then, that's actually, I feel like it's helped me with my business. So if you look at Jay Klaus as another example of someone that I've worked with and had on my podcast and been, featured on his stuff. And we're very similar as far as we help creative entrepreneurs 
He does community. He doesn't have a book yet, but he has a podcast. He has a YouTube channel. He has a community and he does coaching and stuff and he does sponsorships. So like a lot of overlap, but (laughs) he focuses really heavily on one or two areas. He's really specific around community and content. So those are kind of the areas that he focuses a ton on. Whereas I focus really on just the underlying strategy and foundational business that's like you're building Uh your entire empire on. And so there's a lot, like even today, I just added a nice thing in my email template that goes out every Monday that says, if you're looking for specific help in these six or seven areas, go check out these other individuals. And I'm not worried that they're going to go there, give them all their money. Because I want them to if that's what they need. Like, I'm here to help, not Uh to extract money from a group of people. And so I think that mindset is important, that it's not competition, it's collaboration. There's so many millions of people that are in this market that there's room for everybody. So I do think it's important um, to, to think about how are you sending people? So you're not saying, they do what I do, go to them. But say if you want this specific outcome, Right now, they're a really good resource, but I do all this stuff to make sure you've got the bases covered before you start focusing on sponsors or content or audience growth. So that's how I've differentiated myself is to say, I have a system that gives you a complete circle of every single system that you need in your business. It's working perfectly. And then based on what your needs are, if you want to expand on audience or sponsors or content or community, there's some other resources that have a lot more experience than I do. Coming back to your uh, podcast, you I actually listened to the chat with uh, Jay Klaus that you had. It was it was really fascinating to listen to both of you. But what about this podcast? What interested me most is that mm. we see creators approaching their um, advice or coaching business or, or even content creation from two different at least I see it from two different angles. On one hand, there's the expert angle. Um, I know this and I'm going to show you this. I'm going to tell you this. And then there's the learner. And I'm going to take you on my journey with me as I grow, as I'm learning this thing. And I'm going to tell you what I've learned and you can learn with me. And and I see in your case, the podcast was sort of like trying to reach the 10K uh, revenue, the 10K subscribers. Uh, and on the other hand, you are an expert, at least until some point how do you look at that how do you look do you approach your content creation trying to position yourself instantly as an expert or you go on your learning path and taking people who are maybe two steps behind you with you uh the the unfortunate answer i think is that it's both and so i use the 10k creator podcast to be the learner to step into the shoes of the listener and say i'm going to be the audience surrogate here and i'm going to ask the questions of How do you do this? Because I've tried for 10 years to make a business out of content and I haven't ever been able to figure it out. And then there's Joe Polizzi and Jay Klaus and Brian Clark and Alexi Grant and um, Daphne Gomez. They came on as guests and they said, well, here's how we did it. So I was able to sit in that seat as an audience member and go, okay, how did you figure it out? How did you grow an audience? How did you grow your revenue? How did you figure out your products? And it was super eye-opening. And I think that's why the podcast worked so well is because everyone else comes to it from the point of an expert. They say, I've been doing this for 10 or 15 years and here's how I did it. But the problem is they've got this like gap of knowledge where they're going, I know what worked 15 years ago when I was in your shoes, but that doesn't necessarily mean it works today. 
Now, that's not ubiquitous. That's not like for every single podcast out there that I have that gripe. But I, you know, if you look at like the Tim Ferrisses that have millions of followers and 4 million people on his email list and yada, yada, he's not talking about how to grow right now. He was doing that 10 years ago when he was growing his audience for his book launch. But he doesn't talk about that anymore because he's got this like curse of knowledge where he's like, I know what worked a decade ago. That's not what's working today. And you see him experimenting. He's posting, you know, short form vertical video on Twitter. And he's probably on TikTok and YouTube shorts and all those other things because he's experimenting. He hasn't gained 10 million followers there. So he's in the learner or experimenter mode there. What I also like to refer to as the apprentice phase. And he has mastery in other areas. And so that's kind of how I approach this. And I'm in the apprentice phase of this part of my life. But over here with film producing, I'm in the mastery stage. Like I am trying to grow and more and more as a master. I know how to do budgets. So I started there and then I expanded to, I know how to produce. I know how to hire crews and run a crew, make sure everyone's taken care of, you know, take care of the budget and make sure it's shot on time under budget. And then it became, I know how to do it internationally. So the next level of mastery for me as a film producer is raising money and producing the projects underneath my own name as opposed to being hired to come onto another project. So that's my film life where I have mastery there. That's 15 years of my career that I've gotten to that point. But in the content area, I'm like two years old as far as doing it consistently and like having one thing that I'm focused on. So I'm like, all right, I'm in the apprentice phase here. And that's okay that you're master somewhere and apprentice somewhere else. Like if you took a master woodworker and tried to teach him how to do metal work, he would be a master woodworker and an apprentice metal worker. It's the same idea. And I use those analogies because my last name is Smith. And so it's in my blood to talk it's about like being a blacksmith <laughs> and being a craftsman. But I think it was a really hard thing to figure out. You probably hear me if you listen to the entire 10K creator show all 10 episodes, you kind of hear me rustle with like, how do I, how do I talk about this? And what am I doing? And it doesn't make sense because I make six figures in my other businesses. I had a course business and my film producing. So why is he trying to get to 10K here? It's like, because that's the thing I've never mastered. I figured out mm-hmm. courses pretty quickly because it was kind of like producing content as a film producer. And I'd done that for 15 years. But as far as content, I hadn't cracked that nut yet. So that was why we went and took that angle of like, I'm going to be the person sitting in the seat asking the questions, and then I'm going to do the work. I'm going to come back and report and say, here's what I did the last week or two weeks. Here's what worked here. What Here's what didn't. And ultimately, you know, it ended up working because I was given really focused action steps to take every single week by these incredible mentors and guest experts. And it was like, oh man, that's a cool outcome to say, here's what works right now, do it, implement it and see what happens. And it was like, bang, bang, you'll hear, I don't want to spoil it for people, but if you get to the last, you know, episode nine, 10, 11, it's like, oh dang, it, it worked really well. So it was, it was hard to figure it out, but it was really satisfying that it worked the way it did. Can you sum up for us the biggest lesson that you learned? across that process of of the podcast? Ooh, I feel like there's a lot of big lessons. Um, <laughs> you know, the way to approach mentors is, is a big one. You know, you build relationships with people is huge, right? By the time Brian Clark came on the show, he doesn't really do tons of podcast interviews, but he's friends with Joe for 10 years, 15 years. 
And he knew me because I was in his community as well for the last year and a half. I had presented in their unemployable initiative months before that. So the way you approach people that are a level or two or 10 beyond where you're at is really important. Um, and you can kind of hear how I did that. I shared a little bit of that story today, but the podcast goes even more in depth with that. But the biggest takeaway, I think it goes back to what we were talking about before about identity. And in order to reach the next level of whatever you're trying to do, whether it's skills acquisition or whether it's mastery or whether it's growing your business, you really have to take on a new identity in order to step into that next level. So you're raising your standards. You're taking on new actions and new habits that you hadn't before. It's that concept of what got you here won't get you there, right? So if you've been posting once yeah. a week on social media and you're realizing that you're not growing your audience at all, well, you have to take on a new identity of someone who posts every single day and comments and engages and sends DMs, right? If you want to grow an email list beyond a thousand people, because now I've gone from that 500, I just crossed 4,500 this week, right? And 2,000 of that's in the last two months. Right. And so you've got to give it time, but you also have to take mm -hmm. on new action. So I had to become someone who identified as like, I am someone who invests in the growth of my newsletter. Uh, you mentioned about expanding your identity. Uh, and I think this is something that I notice all over the, 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 the creator economy in general. So you see a lot of people starting talking and building their audience and their expertise in one area of their expertise. Let's say you're a film producer talking about video making or uh, Justin Welsh, which, you know, uh, started as Justin SaaS talking about SaaS sales because that's where his, his experience was. But all those very successful creators, they reach a ceiling of sorts. And when they have nowhere else to grow, they need to expand. And by force, they are forced to expand into what they're doing, which is content creation. So you can talk about your expertise, you know, that you get into filmmaking or in sales or whatever, but you always end up teaching others how to make content because that's what got you there into your current situation. And I feel like, I feel like we're in a, in a sort of bubble, you know, that, that, that the, all the expertise and all the experience always sums up, it always ends up being content creation, content creation. And I'm thinking maybe we, we have a little bit skewed perspective at, uh, at sales or growing business online because all we see is post your content every day, post your content every day, grow your audience, whereas there's thousands of successful businesses not doing that and succeeding, right? Do, do you think that, that, that I'm onto something or completely not? I definitely think you're onto something, and the reason you see it so much on social media is because that's a content platform. It's the same idea as like if you go to a surgeon, they're going to want to operate. If you go to a physical therapist, they're going to recommend physical therapy. If you go to a psychiatrist, they're going to recommend drugs. You know, like where you go is what you're going to get. Um, generally speaking, that's a big generalization. But if you go on social media, yeah, you're going to find people talking about how to do content better because that's what you're there to learn. You're on a content platform. There's a gentleman um, named Sean Twain. He's the co-owner of Tiny Little Businesses along with Andre Chaperon. These are two people that I also consider mentors. I've been following along. Andre's the one who taught me email marketing. I've been in his communities and taking his courses for probably close to a decade at this point. And that's how I've built my business up to where I was doing $10,000 months with an audience of 2,000 people. But um, 
basically, like you've got to think about who are you going to and what are they going to teach you. But what Sean taught told me literally like two weeks ago, because I said, look, I'm getting a little burnout on social media. I'm not seeing the results, right? Like I'm putting an equal effort into email and Twitter. That was the platform I chose to focus on all of last year. And I grew my audience from like a thousand people to 2,700. So like it worked, I grew, but I, I can track how many sales came from Twitter and it's close to zero. Whereas I can look at email and go, that's where all my, that's where all my clients and customers come from. They generally see me on a podcast and they spend an hour with me hearing me talk about this stuff. They can hear my passion for it. They can hear my expertise. Then they join my email list and then they become a client. I've got coaching clients, high ticket offer clients. All these things came from podcasts. So I was like, okay, I need to change my strategy up this year, which is why I'm saying yes to every podcast. I want to do one a week this year. What Sean said, I know I keep circling around this thing. Sean Twings told me that he has seen hundreds, literally hundreds of seven figure businesses that were built on one offer and one channel. Yeah. So you don't have to be everywhere all at once. You don't have to be Ali Abdal where you're on YouTube and have a podcast and have a newsletter and you have products and you have this and this and this and this. No, you don't have to. You can do that when you've got five or 10 million a year and a team of 20 people, but you're not going to do that successfully as a solo creator. So you've got to identify the one offer and the one channel that drives the most, the highest quality leads the most consistently and really focus on that until it works. Then you can expand. Then you can go to the next thing. Yeah, it can be a podcast, it can be a newsletter, it can be social media, it could be YouTube, it could be any, it could be webinars, it could be your book, whatever it is. So what is it for you? Well, that's what I'm still trying to identify. I'm in the experimentation mode of what is it? Because I can tell you right now, I've got these two high ticket offers. One is kind of like in the building phase where I'm experimenting with one first initial customer or client that's like, I'm doing it at a discounted rate. I want to see if this works. And then I'll work on that offer and that channel uh, in a few months. But the big one right now, I call it the Craftsman System. And it's a done for you offer. I come into your business. You Generally, these are businesses that are doing at least five or 600,000 a year. They've got a team of three to five to 10 people. And they're, they're really struggling because their revenue per person is too low. So what I do is I bring them in and I do a little scorecard and I go, what's your business look like right now? And I identify the weak points and then I come in and build the system. So if they don't have email, I come in and literally build three sequences, a whole bunch of tagging and segmenting and all that stuff, templates, welcome, welcome sequences, sales sequences, et cetera, and then teach them how to do it. So I'm recording videos. I'm basically recording like a six hour course worth of stuff that they can then have in their company wiki that says, oh, we need to create a new newsletter on Monday. How do we do that? Oh, go to the video that Darren recorded that said, here's the buttons you click on and what to type in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I have one lead a week coming in right now. One lead a week, not one sales call, not one discovery call, one lead. That's not enough for that business to be doing you know, two clients a month, which is what I'm aiming for. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in that process of identifying what is the one channel that I can get, I don't know what even, even what it even will end up being. Maybe I need 10 leads a month. Maybe I need 100 a month to get to two clients. I don't know. So I'm identifying, I'm aiming for 25 a month right now. And I've got three experiments running. 
Uh-huh. I've got like a very basic cold email, set it up as a system, dropped in 1500 leads and or prospects and put it into an automated system and that's running in the background, emailing 20 people a day. That's where the one lead has come from. Out of 200 emails that it sent, one lead. Mm-hmm. Not interested in your offer, but like a lead that said, here's, I took the scorecard. Do you have some specific niche that you're going after uh, of those companies? Initially, video production companies, animation studios, yeah. things but like that, because that's where my background is, right? So so do you look at, um, at content creation as a way of sell the end product on scale, sell your courses and or community memberships uh, on scale to people who, who follow you and who subscribe to your list? Or you look at it as rather top end of the funnel where everybody falls in and hopefully they end up at the at the end with the high ticket offer. So I lead with the high ticket and the med- medium ticket offer. And this is a reverse strategy that Brian Clark taught me in the 10K Creator mm-hmm. Show. Because if you are at my level or even a little few steps behind, you've got a few thousand followers on social media or your email list or maybe even a hundred or less, you don't have enough scale to get a hundred sales a month of your hundred dollar product, which is what you would need in order to get to $10,000 a month. But okay. if you have a way to create an offer that you could sell for $10,000, you only need to sell one a month to have a $10,000 a month business. So I identified an offer that I could deliver in a certain amount of time that would allow me to do two a month by myself without a team, without anybody. Well, two times $15,000 is $30,000 a month. And that's not full time. That's working like 10 hours mm-hmm. a week on these offers, right? Over a period of two months. And so you've got to identify, do I even have the skill set, the experience? Can I create enough value where an audience of people, a lead would go, I would happily pay $10,000 for that. And if you're just starting out, it might be the answer is no, and that's okay. So what's a $500 offer or a $1,000 offer? Can you do something for someone? Can they pay for your time for you to do it for them? And that's kind of your high ticket offer. So I lead with uh-huh. that and with my community, which is a $500 a year price point right now. And that includes like events and group coaching and daily content and all that kind of stuff that you get with the community. And so I'm identifying from the very first moment that someone's coming into my ecosystem, the very first thing that happens is not join my email list. That does happen, and I have a way to kind of identify where they're at in the process through those welcome emails, because quickly I want to identify, are they a business owner that is making at least 500K a year and they need my help? Are they an individual creator that would really benefit from group coaching or even individual coaching in my community? Or are they just starting out, they found me, they saw that I'm teaching this stuff, and they really just need like my courses and my books, which are done, do it yourself, no involvement with me. I'm not hopping on calls with them. Then they don't get any access to me other than my ideas that are captured in coursework and the book. So I see the book and the low level stuff as kind of the catch-all. It's like, if they're not the high ticket, then see if they're the middle, middle ticket. If they're not the done with you middle offer, then offer them the small thing. And it's not like I'm presenting the offer to every single person that comes in but I'm quickly identifying where they are in the process so they can deliver the right offer to the right person at the right time. And that's how sales happen in the background without me having to manually hop on a call with every single person that joins my newsletter to say, hey, how can I help you? 
right? It, my email system is doing that for me. So how do you do that? How do you identify or qualify those leads so quickly? Yeah, the first thing is like, how are they coming into your business? So what lead magnet are they interested in? Because there's a very, there's a huge difference. I have, for example, for these higher ticket offers, I have, I'm using scorecards. Um, I can mm -hmm. give you a, a link to the score app. It's scoreapp.com and it's built, this is a business built by Daniel Priestley, who's a friend and a mentor now. And it's been amazing to gain tons of insight about my leads when they come into my business, but it's also extremely valuable for them because the way I built these scorecards is it's almost like a personality test. Like if you've ever taken the 16 personalities, like you're an ENTJ, then it's very similar to that. It's like 15, 20 questions that helps you identify the strengths and the constraints in your business. So what I'm doing is sending these high ticket leads to the landing page for the scorecard to say, before you even work with me, like, let me give you something valuable. I'm using my expertise to identify 15 questions that if you answer them, I will show you where the strengths and the weaknesses are in, in your business. And I have people every day that are messaging me and going, I got a ton just from the scorecard, but now I'm in your newsletter and now I'm getting your email series. And oh my gosh, this is incredible. I love the way that you do business. I got one of those emails this morning. So I'm sending them to a lead magnet that is a scorecard that has a ton of value before they even get on my list. So you can do the same thing with content. You can create like different, you can create a PDF, you can create a video, you can create an email series, you can create any number of things, but you want those leads to kind of be a signal of raising a hand, right? If they click on a link, it's kind of like saying, ooh, that's me, right? So if someone is saying, I want to learn how to manage and grow my million dollar media business, and that's your lead magnet, that's a very different individual than someone that says, I want to learn how to create content, right? Someone who clicks on and the first link is very targeted for that high ticket offer. Whereas someone who clicks on that lower or the other, you know, I'm interested in content, a very specific small part of their business, well, I should send them my book because there's a whole section on content and audience and all those kind of things. So I use the lead magnets to be a signal of where they're at in their business. And the scorecard even goes a step further by saying, here's 20 questions that I can go, oh, they really need help with email. And so when I get an email that says, hey, you got a new lead, well, I can click in and look at their answers and go, wow, they're really struggling with this, this, and this, and their weakest area is email. They have zero email presence. Uh -huh. They're doing product well, they're doing marketing well, they're doing everything else, but they have no email. That was a lead that came through last week. So I can message them and send them an email and say, hey, Jerry, or whatever your name is, thanks for taking the scorecard. You're doing great here, here, and here. I noticed that you're really, you know, you have zero email. I would love to hop on a call and show you how I can implement email into your business and help you double your revenue this year. That's a very personalized, specific follow-up that I get because I'm using that scorecard as a lead uh, generation tactic. I, I think I personally know a lot of leads that would be perfect for you. <laughs> so there, I talk with a lot of people that have nailed their product and they sold tens or even hundreds of thousands of product at a low level, uh, low, low price point. Uh, and they collected 10, 20, 30,000 email uh, subscribers, but they don't use it. They don't know how to build a relationship with their audience, how to get, they don't know what upsell is. They don't know what an email sequence is. Uh, where would you start? Where would you, where would you go with a person who has an email 
super valuable list that they don't know how to use. Where do you start? Gosh, that's a gold mine. So like, I would love to talk with these people because there's <laughs> so much untapped potential there. If you're selling like these one-off products, these five, 10, 15, 20, $50 products, most of those people are like coming to your landing page and buying because it's kind of just a, you know, a simple purchase. It's almost like the stuff that's right next to the, the checkout counter at the store. And so you're getting people that are finding you day one, buying your thing and getting on your list. But there's probably a lot of people who have joined your list who haven't bought yet. And if you use email as a way to engage those people over more than those initial 90 days, what you can realistically do is 5x your sales. Because now you're providing value for for longer than just the one day of, hey, here's this thing, buy my stuff. Hey, buy my stuff. Hey, buy my stuff. And that's why a lot of times people try out things like funnels to go, okay, I'm going to set up a landing page and I'm going to upsell, upsell, and I'm going to get them on an email list and I'm going to sell them, sell them, sell them, sell them, sell them until they either buy or bounce. And I hate that strategy. I mean, it works for people. I have friends who have made millions of dollars doing that strategy. So it obviously works for some people. I just don't like it. If you've ever been inside of a funnel like that, you know what it looks like, you know what it feels like, and it's icky. And it's not like human. It's not natural to be feeling like you're being shoved through a funnel and they're trying to extract as much money as they possibly can from you. And so I really like this this mindset of I'm going to work with people and provide value before any transaction occurs for at least 90 days. And if you're like me and you have a newsletter, well, I've been writing this weekly newsletter for almost 100 issues. That's almost two years. So I have people that like today are messaging me saying, hey, I would love to hop on a call. And I clicked in and looked at them and they've been a subscriber for nine months. Okay, well, that's $250 that's going to come in for a 30-minute call because I engaged that person for longer than one day or 90 days or whatever. I was providing value for free through my newsletter for 90 issues before they finally said, you know, this is the right time for me and the right offer and I'm going to engage and I'm going to become a customer. So it's really identifying how can you give value before any transaction occurs for a longer period of time so that you become a trusted, valued resource for the things that they care about in their business. How important do you think it is that this trusted and valued resource is you and your name and your face rather than, I don't know, brand Uh, or, you know, people just hiding behind the logos and fancy names rather than showing their face? I think it's extremely important. I don't think you have to have your business name be your name, right? So my my umbrella company is called DS Media, which is Darren Smith Media, right? But there's that's not public facing at all. That's just the LLC that owns Craftsman Creative and the courses and my film producing stuff. And so even though it's Craftsman Creative, Everything that goes out comes from me, the owner, the founder of Craftsman Creative. So the Craftsman Creative newsletter that goes out every week doesn't come from random business. It comes from me personally. And so if people reply to that email, I switch it from hello at Craftsman Creative to Darren at Craftsman Creative, and I reply back so they know it's me, the founder, replying to them. I think no matter what, even if you're B2B, if you're B2C, if whatever it is, People buy from people. And so you have to approach your content as an individual. And so you might have a social media team that's putting out content for you, but it'd be much more effective for you to be putting out content on your personal 
channel and your personal profile and have that running in tandem from the business. So you look at Nathan Berry, he has like 40 yeah. or 80,000 subscribers on his newsletter. He's the founder of ConvertKit, but ConvertKit also puts out content as a business and they're creating books and they're creating a newsletter and they have a community and they have all the different social channels. But if you look at the difference every single time, you look at Richard Branson versus um, Virgin Group. You look at Elon Musk versus SpaceX or Tesla. You look at any CEO versus that. Like even I think um, Tim Cook has like 10 million Twitter followers, whereas Apple has less than that, right? So people like buying from people. They want to identify with the founder and the creator and stuff. You know, Mark Zuckerberg, his page has way more likes than Facebook's page does. And so you've you've always got to think about that. If you're going to do both, then have both. But if you're only going to do one, make it your personal account and make it your personal um, from Darren or from the desk of Darren or whatever you're going to sign your emails from. And your social media stuff should come from your personal profile. And then in the link, you just say, I'm the CEO of whatever business you are. And that can link out to the business page, to the website, to whatever. And that'll work just fine. Do you think that this is a skill that everyone can learn? Like you're you're obviously super comfortable on a podcast in front of a camera, but not everybody is. Have you always also had like a learning curve or you're just natural at it? I don't, I think there's things that you're more natural at, but everything is a skill to be acquired. And so I'm 100% on the side of, yeah, you can learn anything. There's difference between skills and like attributes, right? So I'm not mm-hmm. six seven. I'm not a basketball player who's gonna be in the NBA. I'm I'm you know, five foot nine on a good day if I'm wearing my tall shoes, right? So and I don't and I'm also thirty nine, so I'm not gonna go and try out to be in the NBA. I don't have the physical attributes to be valuable to a team in the NBA. But that's different than skills, right? Your skills in basketball are very different than your attributes. Same thing with being a content creator. It's mainly skills. And all the written content within a couple hours in a week? Yeah. How? How? I mean, it took years to, you know, to figure out. Like my newsletter <laughs> is generally a eight hundred to a thousand words long. And and it's just very systematized. And so I have a template that says, look, here's the outline, here's the structure. So it feels very familiar and it works. Yeah. I have a main idea, I have three supporting points, I have a conclusion. Like it's very structured. And every week I'm just going, okay, what's top of mind this week? What questions did I have? What is showing up in my community that people are dealing with? And I'm using that as kind of the idea generator for a newsletter each week. So I'm spending almost no time on coming up with the idea. A lot of people get stuck of like, okay, I'm going to do an hour of research and I'm going to figure it out. And then I'm going to do, get a bunch of resources and references and blah, blah, blah. I don't do any of that stuff. I don't even edit my newsletter. So I literally hop into ConvertKit. I type it out in real time. It ends up being a thousand words. I can do that generally in 20 or 30 minutes. I add four or five links that I've bookmarked throughout the week. So I literally go over to Twitter, check out the bookmarks, and I either grab the tweet itself or the link itself. So if it's a YouTube video or resource or a website or whatever, and I'll post three or four links to help people grow. And that's literally it. And so I just have a lot of it templatized. And so the sponsor each week is already there. The referral link is already built in. I don't have to go and grab mm-hmm. that and code it and do any of that stuff. It's already pre-built into the template. So literally, third, I mean, yesterday was 10 minutes because I got a call to go help a friend out in Park City 
And I needed to do that. And I had the next hour set aside to do my newsletter, but I realized I had 10 minutes. So I tweaked my content and I said, look, I'm going to pull a dozen quotes from a book that I just read, which is, which I've mentioned like the week before. So it tied into previous content, grabbed 10 quotes, put it in there. And that was the newsletter for the week. But I had six people nice. reply and go, I love that book. And thanks for this newsletter. And that was amazing. I never tried that format before. It worked great. So I have that. And then the newsletter informs the content for the week. And so I'll pull mm -hmm. from the newsletter and put that as five different tweets and five different LinkedIn posts. They're generally the same posts, just different formatting. And there you go. So in an hour, I can write a newsletter and produce all the supporting content. And then my podcast, I, I just started it back up because I was wondering if we were going to do a season two of the 10K Creator Show, like now. We're going to wait a few more months. But I'm like, okay, well, I, I love doing podcasts and I want to have that out there. And so I've been writing daily posts in my community. So generally mm -hmm. each week is on a different topic. So first week was sales. The second week was email strategy. This week I think is product. And so I've got five posts for the entire week. So I'm literally pulling three of those and recording the podcast based on those three posts. And because I write like I talk, I'm literally just reading the posts. That's my recording of the podcast, but it sounds like I'm just speaking it because that's I write yep. in my same voice. So the podcast takes 10 minutes to record, five minutes to edit and upload. and stuff. Okay, so from the other side, what takes the most of your time? So obviously delivering, you know, the, the high ticket offer takes at least mm -hmm. an hour a day. Like that's generally what I'm spending a lot of time on right now is just I'm blocking out two or three hours a day to go, okay, I'm going to work on this email system or going to work on this lead generation. Like we're helping them launch a podcast. So we're going to figure all that out, right? So I'm spending time every day. That's part of what they're paying for with a done for you service is my time. Mm -hmm. So I need to make sure I'm putting in an hour or two a day to move their business forward and get these things built out. So that takes a bunch of my time. Um, I do a lot of calls like this. And so whether they're consulting calls or coaching calls or things like that, that's probably three to five hours a week. And I'm like, I'm literally looking at my calendar now. The rest of the <laughs> time is building out this lead system and figuring out what's the channel that's going to work for getting these leads in the door. Because for me, I think that's and how I grow Craftsman Creative to 100K a month. It's not going to be the Justin Welsh model of, I'm just going to get to 500,000 followers on social media. And that means 5,000 people a day are clicking on my site and 500 of them, yeah. or 50 of them are buying my course. I don't have that skill yet. And so I'm building that in the background. But, you know, the other thing is I really only work like nine to three every day. So I'm doing no, no. six hours a day instead of eight. I don't have a commute. Like I'm in my house right now. I work from home. And so a lot of my other time, like the 3 to 8 p.m. is family time. I've got three boys. I've got an amazing wife who also works for home and is a creative person. Like I would, I do the work so I can spend more time with them. Given my druthers, like I would be living in New Zealand, you know, writing an hour a day and that would be my life. I wouldn't do any coaching or consulting or anything, but that's the vehicle I'm going to use to get to that point where the yeah. business is paying me enough to live anywhere in the world and doing what I want. So you mentioned the, um, uh, that a lot of your time takes figuring out the system, figuring out what works, um, are there some specific metrics that you're looking up 
the conversion rates from which channel to which channel? What, what are you looking at most? Yeah, 100%. Like I do a lot of tracking. There's an hour every Monday morning where I spend going and looking at all this, all the experiments and the results from the last week. So if you're not doing any tracking for your business, I highly recommend that you find one metric and you make that number go up every day. And you'll grow your business. If you give it that much time and attention and focus, when I left the video production company that I had for nine years, I left that to be a full-time film producer. And the one metric I tracked for two years was daily average revenue. That was in it. So daily. I started, it was about $150 when I stopped Damn tracking it because I had a business that point it was over 400 a day. And so just focusing on one metric tripled my revenue nearly and went from making 36000 a year in the business that I was running to making 150 k a year as a producer. And so that's like a 2x and a 2x and a 2x or whatever that is. Interesting that you mentioned daily average revenue because businesses often look at ARR, the annual recurring revenue or monthly. And um, I found that when you want to reach some goal, specifically a big goal like 100k revenue, for example, per month, um, you need to sort of atomize it into a smaller bits or because you're not able to track the 100k instantly. You need to track the daily things and the daily tasks and the daily metrics that, that you do. How do you break it down? How do you break it down? How do you find this the smallest metric to focus on every single day? Yeah, so I was averaging every week or actually every two weeks. So I was measuring that metric uh-huh. twice a month. And so it would either be on the first and then the 15th or 16th, depending on what day, how many days that month. So I could basically look at the last two weeks and go, okay, that average daily revenue number for the last two weeks was this. And that was the right frequency to measure it, to go, oh, the experiments that I was doing, the activities I was doing to try and increase my revenue had a good effect or a bad effect, right? Do you think that the metric always has to be, the metric always has to be monetary? No. Like people track followers, subscribers, you know, like uh, which metric do you focus on when? Well, it depends on the outcome that you're after, right? So if you're trying to increase your revenue, there's a lot of ways you can do that. There's multiple points along that customer journey where it's like, you might have a $10,000 offer, but if no one's buying it, it's not a matter of, did I create another product this month, right? You don't want to have 10 $10,000 products that nobody's buying. You don't even want to have 10 $10 products that nobody's buying. And so the metric to to track at that point is not, did I make another widget? Did I create another mm-hmm. product or service? So you go the next step back. It's like, okay, well, how many potential customers did I talk to this week? And if you're getting zero there, then it's like, okay, maybe that's a good place to start. How many calls, mm-hmm. if you're doing sales calls, how many calls did you have this week? And if the answer is zero, okay, well, now you need to take a step beyond that and go, okay, well, I'm going to try and make more content. So I'm going to post one a day and see if I can make that number of calls per week go up, right? And so you have to look at the business as a whole. This is the whole reason why Craftsman Creative exists. Because what I see happening time and time again is people go, oh, my business isn't working. I need to grow on Twitter. Okay, that may or may not be true. But we won't know unless we know that your business is like a complete circle. And so if you envision like a a six-spoke wagon wheel and one of the spokes is missing or three of the spokes are missing, well, you can try to move forward with that, but you hit one bump and the entire business or wheel falls apart. It breaks because it doesn't have the infrastructure that it needs to operate properly. And so as you kind of go, oh, well, this one peg is broken and this spoke is non-existent and this one's really strong, 
So I need to reinforce the business this way. And you look at your business like a whole system. That's when you can go, okay, the system's working now. How do I want to optimize and grow it? But until that point, the only thing you should be focusing on is making sure that all the main, those six spokes basically are present in your business and they're strong. They're not cracked. They're like, they're not worn out, but they're given the proper time and attention. And that's hard for creators, especially because they don't like the business stuff. They don't want to do finances and spreadsheets and tracking and optimization and all that stuff, but it's required. You have to have in every business, you need to have a technician or an artist that's doing the work. You need a manager that's like building systems and making sure that the entire business is running properly. And you need an entrepreneur that's got the big vision of like, this is why we're building this thing. This is where we're going to be in a year from now in five years. And this is the ultimately why we're doing this, the big vision and the mission of the business. But most people only operate as one of those three things. So the whole reason why I built Craftsman Creative is to help people see business a different way. It's not just about yeah. doing more art. It's about you have to build this entire infrastructure out, build out these systems, and then you can figure out where you want to grow from there. Is the 100K goal for this year? Yeah. That's by the end of the year I want to be at that point. What's the, um, what's the split that you, that you think you can achieve uh, in terms of high ticket, low ticket? And is, do you plan to change that split as you grow? As you grow your audience, as you grow your email list, you want to like 80% right now into high ticket, but over the next years, you would like to switch it up a little. I think by the end of the year, it'll probably be like 80 or 90% high ticket and 20% mm -hmm. of that low ticket stuff. And the goal is to completely invert that with as mm -hmm. soon as possible, right? Because if you are tied into client work, then you don't have freedom of time, right? You're, I can't go on vacation for a month if someone just paid me 15 grand to build those systems in their business out. Yeah. And so if I can get the high ticket stuff to two clients a month, three clients, five clients, 10 a month, because I've got a team, right? Then I've got money to invest in audience growth, which will allow me to kind of do the Justin Walsh model of, okay, maybe I do grow to 40, 50, 100,000 followers online. I've got content and I've got a newsletter with 50, 60,000 people. I can get sponsors from there. I can do this. And maybe I'm not making 100 but I'm making 30 or 40 or 50 and it's all independent of my time. None of it requires any of my, me showing up at a certain time and place on a consistent basis. So I'm choosing strategically to implement this high ticket offer strategy because I want to have more profit margin to be able to invest in the growth of the business okay. because the faster that I can grow the audience and the awareness, and really smooth out and optimize those channels from social media or podcasts or whatever it might be, or books, to an email list, to sequences that then sell the products for me. Okay, well then I'll probably pare down to just running the community because I love running the community that we built. And, you know, I'll write a book every two years and I'll write a newsletter every week and that will be my, I'm living in New Zealand at a really nice house and I'm writing an hour a day. That's my business. So, so that's what I wish you. And I will definitely follow you and I will expect <laughs> the result. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. I think everybody needs to know what that is for them, right? What are you building for? Because if I'm trying to build a $10 million like high growth business, that's a very different outcome than trying to build yeah. a lifestyle business that's paying me 20 or 30K a month for me to write an hour a day and that's the gist of my business. But everybody needs to know what their reason for building their business is. Is it just money? That's not a great reason. 
for me, it's I want to have a massive impact on tens of thousands of creators and have a world that is full of art and creativity because I don't want chat GPT-3 or whatever to take over the world and everything we read and see and all the movies we watch and all the YouTube stuff is created by artificial intelligence. That sounds terrible to me. So I'm using Craftsman Creative to create a world where creative individuals, artists, entrepreneurs have a very clear way, a clear path to profitability so they can do what they love full time for as long as they like. And that to me feels like a worthwhile endeavor. And that's why I'm putting much more time and effort into this business this year so that can it can live and be around for a long, long time. That's amazing. And on that note, I should probably tell you that all the questions that I had for you today were written by Chuck GPT. <laughs> <laughs> nah, just kidding. Just kidding. But they were not answered by ChatGPT, which is the whole point. <laughs> well, we don't know that. Maybe it's all staged, you know? We were, maybe, we, maybe we're just our AI avatars. You wouldn't know. You honestly wouldn't know. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much. It was a mountain of, uh, of gold that you shared with us. Um, and I hope that when you reach this 100K per month, you will still, uh, you will still want to share and you will still embrace the role of the influencer and that benefits from podcasts. You will maybe come on one more time and tell us how you managed to reach that number. What do you say? Absolutely. I'm always happy to come back and thank you for, I mean, seriously, you've done the homework and, I, and it shows. I appreciate you, you know, taking the time to just really be here for this conversation and inviting me to join you with it. It's been a ton of fun. So I'm excited to see how this goes for you guys. So am I. Thank you so much, Darren. Thank you. Darren is a man with a plan, and I'm sure he gave you some ideas how to formulate your own. There's a new podcast coming your way very soon. And until then, please subscribe, and I'll catch you in the next one.